The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Sit your seat service down and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Rory Blythe. This is Jeff Maciolik here to announce show number 72 with Clemens Vasquez. Recorded live Thursday, July 15th. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VB.net and ASP.net classes remotely. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.net web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And by Dundas Chart, advanced technology, advanced results. Online at www.dunduschart.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who woke up this morning with one heck of a katzenjammer, Carl Franklin. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff, and you're listening to .NET Rocks. I'm Carl, and uh, my co-host out there in Portland, Oregon tonight, Rory Blythe. Rory, my friend, how are you? You know, I'm okay. Cool. How's Portland tonight? <laughs> Portland is absolutely gorgeous today. I think I've probably said that for the past few shows, but it's been so completely beautiful. Um, I've just had a, I've had a nice relaxing day, did a little bit of writing, took a nap on the bed with the chihuahua, ah. you know, and, and just had a good day and things are good. Awesome. So what have you been, I know that you've been sort of in between jobs and experimenting with drugs and, you know, I don't mean hard drugs. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, antidepressants and stuff and, and how's, how's all that going? You coming out it's of going Allison, pretty well. Um, coming out of I, Wonderland? I, uh, I, <laughs> Kind of, yeah. I only hyperventilated four times this week, so <laughs> I'm pretty happy about that. And uh, I, I, no, the truth is, when I first started taking them, I was freaking out all the time, and I was developing like new phobias by the minute that would come and go. Reminds and me of They college. would not last for more than five minutes. Yeah, kind <laughs> of. I guess it, it. You know what though? Yeah, college typically causes some sort of generalized anxiety disorder. But th- when I was starting any depressants, I would just, I, I would just out of nowhere, just suddenly think, oh my god. 3:38 a.m. Oh my god. It's 3:38 a.m. <laughs> and then uh and then it would go away. And uh that was really really weird. And my mm. doctor had me taking um tranquilizers, you know, like Valium. Yeah. Kind of around the clock and that had me totally foggy and nasty and now I'm down to just one a day 
And I'm really happy about that. And I'm starting to get the the positive benefits like increased energy, increased uh, just like better mood. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> um, even yes, and it, it helps out with the OCD. Someday I might be able to actually shake some of your dirty feces covered hands. Oh, people. God. Without having to worry about it. Um, my dog peed on me yesterday, and oh. I, I, I wasn't even worried about it. He peed on my shirt, and I spent the rest of the afternoon wearing that shirt just to prove You're to myself kidding. that I could. That, no, Roy, no, I, I would walked have even around with dog my urine on my shirt. OCD. I would have changed my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty bad. Well, well it I mean, it's good for you. Pee. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's an improvement, I guess. But uh, I well, kind of. I mean, well, now that you phrase it, kind of weird to think really about it like improvement. an improvement. Hey, did you hear about Rory? He wore yeah. his dog's peed shirt on all day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good going, Rory. <laughs> well, look, I was happy about being able to wear my dog's pee shirt well, around yeah, you yesterday afternoon. Yeah, okay. and you should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aside from that, I got I got a paper cut this week, and that's been my life. Um, cool. So that's that's what's happening. Been to writing me. some good stuff. What's, on what's the up blog? with you? What's new with you? Oh, oh, um, yeah. I've been I've been getting back into writing. Yeah, you want to say something about that? No. Okay, just go read the blog. I guess is what we should say. <laughs> yeah, good stuff up there, and I'm enjoying it. Um, what's up with me? Well, I've been uh, making movies this week. Um, the working on .NET Rocks the movie, and that's yeah. a lot of fun. It's finally coming together into some sort of coherent presentation. You know, what's what's weird about making movies is you just work with raw footage and raw footage and raw footage and it's all this disconnected stuff and you, you put it together in Premiere and you start sliding things around and, and fading in and out and you actually start and begin to tell a story with all these little parts, but you have to know what all the little parts are. And the th- it's kind of like programming except that it's totally componentized. Like you don't write anything. You just, you just new up a component and call it and... And then it overlaps into another call and, and that's it. I mean, you don't write anything. You just sort of, you're like right. the manager. You're like the hands-on manager. You can just move things around in time. Well, anyway, uh, it's really, really fun. And we have not only footage of the show that we recorded. Um, we recorded a show we, where we had a camera on me, a camera on you, and a camera on uh, Richard. It was the, the, the toy show, the Geeking Out with Richard Campbell. So we have that, but we also have um, the footage from Tech Ed where we had some conversations with people down there and uh, just having some fun down in uh, San Diego and some music and some fun stuff and and, uh, maybe even some surprises. So what we're probably going to end up with is a DVD. Uh, It's going to be too big to download. It's going to be a two-hour movie, and um, we, we will either make it free if a sponsor can make that happen or it'll be a nominal charge, you know, a PayPal kind of thing where you just, you know, whatever. So that's uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. And, uh, man, it's coming out great. Yeah. And uh, so so that's been that's been my week. I've been almost doing doing almost not. I actually wrote a few articles this week, but uh, that has been the major part of what I've been doing is editing the video. Um. We have a couple of pieces of mail. One of them just came uh, through the website, and it's a really, really nice uh, letter. So I'm going to read this. It's from Jonah Magnuson. Uh, the company is No Thanks. I like being alone. And he's from uh, Gig Harbor, Washington. He says, I give up. 
I discovered DNR sometime late last year, but didn't really start listening to the shows until February of this year. For several months, I was driving across the state of Washington every week, almost four hours each way. I spent a good part of that time listening to old DNR shows. Life was good when the shows were only an hour long and two weeks apart. I was cranking through six shows a week. But the longer, regular format is awesome. It just slowed me down a little. I almost caught up. As I type this, I'm listening to show 67 with John Alexander and Barry Gervin. I had hoped to get through all the shows in order, but I give up. I'll be happily listening to your live show tonight and catching up on the last few episodes next week. I love listening to every show, even the bar episode with Mark that you said didn't go over too well. (laughs) That was a little journey through space and time, wasn't it? I have a confession to make, though. Earlier this year, when I started downloading the shows in force, Rory's picture was on the website, but I didn't notice his name. For the longest time, I was trying to reconcile Mark Dunn's voice and persona with Rory's picture. (laughs) It just didn't make sense, but I accepted it. When I finally figured out Mark bang equals Rory, all was right in the universe again. Uh, I'm looking forward to the show. Keep up the great work. Sincerely, Jonah. Jonah uh, and... uh, Jonah, send us uh, an email, and uh, we will get you a mug with our mugs on it. And there you go. Thanks, Jonah. I also have a a piece of mail from uh, Ross, Ross M. That's all I know. says, uh, Carl, my name is Ross Michaels. Uh, Oh, there you go. Ross M. I'll do that again, okay? Uh, We also have a piece of email here from Ross Michaels. He says, Carl, my name is Ross Michaels, and I'm a computer scientist and project manager at NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. I've recently stumbled across .NET Rocks, so if I'm suggesting something that you've already covered, I apologize in advance. Uh, He didn't, he's not, this isn't something we have covered, so it's good. I'm slowing, uh, working my way, I'm slowly working my way through all your shows from the beginning. I'm only about on about show nine right now. I had an idea for a .NET Rock show that I'd like to share with you. I've noticed that when it comes to hardware, most vendors are quite behind the times with respect to .NET. I deal with a lot of camera control software, for example, from Olympus or Oki, and most of the vendors seem to be stuck in a VB6 or VC, uh, you know, Visual C++ 6 world. Given that you can't even easily buy Visual Studio 6 anymore, I thought it would be a service to both vendors and developers to have a show focusing on the advantages and disadvantages of evolving device drivers to .NET, or at the very least ways to make drivers more .NET and PNBook friendly. I know that in all the software that we've received from the biometrics industry, this is a lot. There hasn't been a a single .NET-based library delivered to us. Anyway, that's my idea. In a nutshell, you've got a great show. It makes my commute something I look forward to. Ross. Ross, thank you. And cool. uh, just to clarify, it, it would pretty much be impossible to write drivers in .NET. You wouldn't want to do that. But what I think you're talking about is just accessible uh, APIs, which can definitely be made in .NET. And you're right. You know, people aren't getting on the ball. Um, actually, that's not entirely true. Maybe just true in in your area, but I, I do know of lots of, uh, not lots of, but a few devices that have uh, .NET accessible APIs. But uh, you're right, it needs to, we need to have more of those. So maybe that's uh, something Richard the Toy Boy can uh, stick in his hat for future reference. We got another one from Greg Martin, who says, uh, should be a great show this week, looking forward to it. I was reading this post on Clemens, Clemens Vaster's blog, 
and uh, regarding object-oriented design and the of the business tier, can you get Rocky Lotka on the phone to debate this with him? That would be some discussion, I think. Well, uh, we couldn't, sorry, but uh, we, we could definitely take that offline. He says, I haven't caught last week's show yet, but the Speaker's Lounge show was great. I was interested in the discussion on securing machines, as I've been dealing with an issue lately where I can't access IIS from VS without shutting down my firewall, which is zone alarm. It's not such an issue for my machine as it only connects with dial-up, so I can make sure I'm offline before I shut the firewall down, but this turns out to be a known issue with Zone Alarm version 5, which their website says will be fixed either this month or next month. It would be great for you to do a show on a discussion about how people are or should be securing and configuring their development machines, as I seem to waste a bunch of time doing shit like this when I could be churning out crappy code. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if the email draught lifted uh, in last week's show, but here's a suggestion. Stop giving away techie crap, get, a, get sponsored by a distillery, and start giving away bottles of scotch. Hmm, that's an idea. I'd much rather have a bottle of 10-year-old Lafroy than an Xbox game any day. Rock on, guys, Greg. Well, you know, that's not a bad idea, but... Uh, Hey, if you can sign them up, uh, more power to you, but I don't think I'd have any any uh, luck doing that. Uh, and finally, Rory, Chris Waters sent yes. me an email on Monday that said, uh, I'm still about a year behind in listening to .NET Rocks making good progress. I'm a diehard VBer. Do you still favor VBNet over C Sharp? And did you see this latest gibberish? And he sent me to a link uh, which started a... Oh, I don't know, a, a firestorm on my blog. I, I was reading this link, which was a, you know, why convert from VBNet to C Sharp? Why should you jump the fence from VisualBasic.net and uh, embrace C Sharp in all its glory? And uh, while I have nothing particularly wrong with people who say, you know, this is why I like C Sharp or this is why I like VBNet, this was like a, a you know, this site was on a mission to convert VB programmers for the wrong reasons. And I just got so mad at seeing this misinformation that I went on a rant on my blog and a whole bunch of people jumped in there. And and of course, it got blown way out of proportion like everything else does. And, you know, uh, everybody had to add their two cents. But uh, it was kind of, you know, made my week go a little bit smoother. (laughs) And uh, now it's time for a segment that we like to do in the first part of the show called the News of the Week with Rory Blythe. Now obey. Got some news for us, man? I have a little bit. It was actually a pretty slow news week. Um, that's why earlier on in the show, I mentioned the paper cut, my dog peeing on me, because those were like the biggest <laughs> things that happened this week. Oh. Uh, but a, cu- a couple of things are going on. And the only I only found two things that I was really genuinely interested by. I mean, there's a lot of conversation out there right now. Um, you know, obviously, like Steve Ballmer talking about the Xbox taking on uh, Sony and the next generation of consoles is getting a lot of play for some reason. Hmm. I don't think it's that fascinating. No, uh, not it doesn't really. really concern us. Um I've been seeing a lot about that. But what's really interesting to me right now is all the mono stuff that's going on. Yeah. And so there's a pretty good interview on CNET right now on news.com.com uh, titled More Than an Open Source Curiosity. And it's with Miguel. 
And they just kind of go through and they're talking about mono and they're talking about, you know, some of the goals, some of the aims, um, some of the challenges, some of what's going on. And, you know, that mono has actually been released. Uh, what's going on? Uh, that's okay. it, it's it's really a very worthwhile interview. Um, in fact, there was there that there's so little news this week that I'm almost willing to read the three mile long URL that points to this article. But really, you'd well, be better look, off we'll just, just going to. Yeah, we'll put a link to it yeah. on the website. So we'll, we'll put it up because it's it's freakishly long. Um, and then Ars Technia, which is this, uh, pretty popular site, um, has a guide, a sort of introductory guide to Mono as a multi-platform, you know, development tool. And I think, I think it's pretty interesting. Even if you're never going to do it, it's still interesting to read about how it is that people are going to be developing desktop applications with Mono for other operating systems. Hmm. I mean, especially if you're really into .NET, I think it's interesting anyway, like looking at the differences between implementing something with WinForms and GTK Sharp, for example. And they do go into GTK Sharp a little bit with now, this article. Now, what's GTK and, Sharp for us non-Linux people? Okay, GTK is this graphics toolkit that is um, one of the, one of the more popular um, for various Nix operating systems. Uh, it, I'm pretty sure that it was developed side-by-side side with and for the GIMP, which is the open-source Photoshop alternative. Mm-hmm. And it's not, at least on Windows, it's not the hottest toolkit. It really doesn't jive too well with Windows. But uh, you're going to find a lot of Linux applications written against GTK. Oh. And so when it comes time to talk desktop applications on Linux, you're going to be talking about GTK. The other, the, well, a couple other really popular uh, toolkits are Qt and what is it wx windows and uh you know okay. that, that's that's a whole different story but the deal is there's like a whole slew of these things and gtk is one of the more popular ones so they they walk you through a little bit of how to develop a very very simple gtk sharp um mono application which is kind of cool it's it's kind of cool to look at how it's done there's no designer yet so you're All back right. to doing everything manually but it is interesting and the url for that is http colon slash slash Ars Technia, which is A R S T E C H N I C A dot com slash etc slash Linux slash index dot html. And I would recommend that just just to get some perspective, just to take a look around and see how other people are having to do things with .NET. Okay. Cool. And that is really pretty much it. That is the news. That and the paper cut and the dog piddling on me. Okay. The, the, the one last thing that happened this week that might fit in the news is that my dog has matured to the point that he asserted his dominance over me yesterday by attempting to impregnate my arm, which was oh, kind of gross. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> so that's the news. <laughs> now obey. That uh, that tune right there came from an old record that I had in the seventies. That's why the scratches are on that. Actually, that's Ooh. a lie. It's just a plug-in. Um, <laughs> Wait, real quick for for anybody who's still listening live, um, there is an IRC channel. If you if you get your IRC client out and go to uh, chat.fnet.info and then join the the sharp well .net rocks channel, the pound .net rocks channel. There's like six or seven people in there right now. Okay, good. Just letting people know. Yeah, good. Well, uh, it's time to introduce our guest, Clemens Vasters. And uh, Clemens has more than 14 years of experience as a developer in software architecture. Rory, I got to ask you, are you as excited as I am? I mean, this is something I usually ask Mark, you know, and Mark would say, man, I am excited. 
but uh, this is going to be an exciting show, don't you think? Well, yeah. I mean, of course, I'm I'm pumped. I mean, what do you want me to say? Of course, I'm pumped. Yeah. I mean, what do you expect me to say? No. Yes. No. Yeah, I expect you to say yes. <laughs> of course, I'm excited. This is going to be fun. Well, Clemens Fasters has more than 14 years of experience as a developer and software architect for financial solutions for the banking industry, portal solutions, and application infrastructure services. He frequently speaks at major local and international conferences throughout Europe and in the U.S., such as Microsoft TechEd, events in the U.S., Europe, and Asia, and many other events. All in all, over 45 events in 26 countries in 2004 to date. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. Clemens is the author of several books and writes for the uh, Pound Talk series in the German .NET Pro magazine. He is also the uh, original author of the widely used weblog software called Das Blog, contributed as the lead architect to the Microsoft New Intelligence Research Project, Fabrik, F-A-B-R-I-Q, all caps, and is lead architect and developer for the Microsoft SOA sample application, Prosware, which is going to be published later this year. And last but not least, he is one of the Microsoft regional directors in Germany. Will you please welcome the one, the only, Clemens Vasters. Hey, man, how are you? I'm doing okay. Guten Morgen. That would be hello in German. Because ah, okay. you, get me, you get me out of bed for this show very early. <laughs> so I'm in a very grumpy state. You, ah. will feel, you will feel the revenge, my friend. I see. I'm shuddering. <laughs> Carl, I was excited a couple of minutes ago, but now I'm and scared. I'm scared. <laughs> Good Lord. No, anyway, so I know it's a little early, and um, thank you for, for you know getting up and being with us. It's a pleasure. Yeah, so when we were talking earlier, you said you were going to rock the world on .NET Rocks. Tonight. Well, we're going to see how, how that works. I'm, I'm, I'm surely I'm going to try to make much less statements about Microsoft products than uh, on the sh- than the people I heard on other shows. Okay. So I'll I'll try I'll try to make it to make it you know adjusted to the time that I am currently time zone that I'm currently in and not make too much of a you know okay. use this product and it's going to make the world a better place etc but it, I'm going to I'm going to stay a little more mellow. Okay. Because, yeah, we have done quite a few shows recently on the SOA and web services and all that kind of stuff. And when you said you wanted to talk a little bit, you know, in that genre, I got a little nervous because, you know, we had done these couple of shows, three or four shows in a row, you know, that were sort of SOA sort of things. And and I had you go and listen to them and you said, yeah, no problem. I'm not even going to go there. So so where should we start? Um I guess you know what I want to start about and talking about before we even get into to what you're going to say here is uh is a little bit of Clemens history and uh in particular DOS blog. Okay. Yeah, so so how did that come about? Oh, that well last year um I well I started blogging late 2002 and I used uh Userland's radio. Right. And um well, in, and then sort of in spring last year, I found that to be a li- very limiting, okay. um, to say the least. Um, it just it was just not very reliable, and the posting was uh, sometimes worked, sometimes didn't. And even though it's a local app, um, it's sort of it's it's, it's browser based and has this local server, and even that doesn't really work well. 
And then um, once you go and uh, and then replicate stuff out to their website, that doesn't that didn't really work well. And then Userland uh, just put put out one one version, and then they really never updated it. Um, and I wanted to have more control, so I looked at uh, Blog X mm-hmm. from Chris Anderson mm-hmm. and uh, thought, well, mm, that needs a little improvement. And then I want to keep my uh, um, radio templates, so I needed to have a little bit more of a templating language, and then I decided to write a clone of their templating system for ASP.NET. And had you use .text too? Um, .net, .text and my stuff were basically developed at the same time. Oh, okay. So Scott, so Scott and I basically developed this stuff at the same time, and Scott, Scott only put out his source code like three months or two months after I published mine. Okay. And until then, it was sort of still, he had the stuff still very secret, and then, then sort of he came out with his stuff, so I couldn't, so that wasn't an option. But it was really, so I wrote that software just for myself, to, and then I'm, I'm really keen on getting better stats um, right, right. to see what's happening. And so there's, there's two things that does blog has to focus on in terms of functionality, and that's, Track as many statistics as you can get, mm-hmm. and the second is be as flexible as possible in terms of rendering, and and that's the that's the two things that I did. Yeah. And then and then at the same time, um, I want to make this an application that has you know the, uh, one the one or the other interesting sort of technical um, aspect to it. So I do a lot of asynchronous processing in the background just to show. And that's because I used that I used this blog as a tool in our workshops. Okay. Um, as a tool to demonstrate things, um, there's a lot of asynchronous processing in the background. So whenever you uh, post something, you can get an you you can uh, send out notifications. You can send out pingbacks and trackbacks, and uh, whenever you get a referral in, um, mm. that is then queued up to be processed later. So I do a lot of Everything I can do asynchronously on the background thread, I'm doing. Oh, good. So, so all these things are in there. Then I have all this time zone handling. How do you handle multiple time zones in Windows? Yeah, that's always a problem. Specifically in .NET, because .NET knows two time zones. It knows UTC and whatever time zone you're currently in. The rest right. is impossible. Right. Um, so all that handling is there. So it's, it's, it's a combination of a tool for myself. Um, and uh, so when users ver- so when users log in, Clements, they they get to tell your system what time zone they're in. Uh, we're not taking it quite. I'm not taking it quite that far. But the user, well, it depends what the user uh, the user is. Well, the so client, the blog yeah, user, the, the blog user, the blog user can tell his time zone, and that time zone is the one that is. Um, you know, shown under all the blog entries. Okay. So readers know exactly what time zone that stuff was was posted from. Yeah, that's good. And you can and you can take your time zone along with you. So if I'm on the road and I'm posting from, let's say, Pacific time, I can mm-hmm. switch that, and then people see exactly the time that I posted that on. Is and the I do and adjust yeah. for daylight savings time and all those things. Cool. Is the time zone that the uh, the user is in? Is that one of the Headers that goes through HTTP, the CGI interface. No, you need to you need to go into the configuration of the of the engine because oh. the, there's there's multiple channels you can post in. Mm. Uh, you can use um, 
uh, the Blogger API and related APIs. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's one channel. Then the second one is you can go through the website, and then the fourth is, uh, third is that you can go and just send an email to the engine hmm. uh, into a POP3 account. Hmm. Um, and then the engine is going to pick up your text. It's going to resolve attachments. It's going to uh, inline pictures, and it's going to do all that. Yeah. Because there's so many um, input channels. I need to have a central place where I can manage that and that will become fake. So when do you sleep? I mean, how does a guy like you speak at 45 events a year and, and write DOS blog at the same time? Will you write it on the road? There are, there, are times for, there are times for summer projects and there's times for travel. So um, I've been on the roads pretty much you know, almost every weekday since January until three weeks ago. And now we're entering summertime, and after Tech Ed uh, Europe, we usually have a stretch of like eight weeks, nine weeks, where mm-hmm. there's no events going on. Um, that's A, there's no Microsoft events or conferences. And then B, Germany basically shuts down for you know, this time because people get 30 days of vacation. And uh, the the summer the school holidays overlap in all those states, so Ger- Germany can pretty much forget for for workshops during the summertime. So during that time, I get time to do a summer project. I have one going on right now, and that blog was last year's summer project. And then I can do fixes over time. So you're going to you're going to rock the world. What is what is this uh, great uh, epiphany that you've had that you want to share with us? Okay, um, it's a little it's 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 a little difficult at first, and then it may get it may get a little easier. Rory, yes, Clemens, I'm going to send you three messages, my service. Rory, you are now a service. I have now declared you a service. I'm going to send you three messages, three requests, so to speak, and I would okay. like you to answer. I would like to answer me the. The, repli- the replies or responses um, as quick as you can and in no particular order. Okay. okay. First question. Square root of 673. Second. What did you say? Prime factors of 72. Third. 3 plus 2. That's how ZeepChat responded oh too. <laughs> what did you say? Well, well, I, I, I didn't even hear the first one. First is square root of 673. Okay. Third is prime factors of 72. And third is 3 plus 2. Okay. Um, I guess 5, 9, 7, and um, whatever the answer is for the third one. Or for the first one, I should say. Okay. Thank you. You already made my point because I don't even know what the answer is for the first one. <laughs> okay. And what is your point? Okay. So I gave you three tasks to do. And for the last one, of, of course, you don't need a lot of time. Um, for the first one, you should probably take a calculator because it's a little hard to do in one's head. And then the prime mm-hmm. factors, you were pretty quick. But five was the first answer. So you came back with uh, you know, the order of three, two, one. Mm-hmm. I gave you three jobs. Now, if you were a program, a traditional program, you would have, you know, bitten your nails on the, square, on the square root for a while, and then mm-hmm. you would have 
thought about the prime factors, and then you would have come back with five. Because you would be a sequential program which does request response. However, in a services world, you just send messages. And that's what I did. I gave you three jobs. And then you come back in no particular order. What we just had was a dialogue sequence, a duplex message sequence. As it happens in the real world, that's more, much more common than you know, what we do in programs. Once we, once we get into a world of services, once we get into a world where software is autonomous things, then we're going to have much, much different communication patterns as the norm than we have today. So my point is that if we look at services or the whole web services, web services story, and that's, that's as far uh, technology that I really want to go at this point, um, it's, it sort of looks still as if this was all RPC. We do HTTP, and that's sort of request response. You go somewhere, and then you hang out for a little while until the other service has done its work, and then it comes back to you on the same thread and on the same communication channel, on the same socket, if you will. And I don't think that's necessarily right. I think we need to look at services in a little more liberal way, and we think need to think about autonomy a little more. Are you confused enough already? So, yeah. So, are you are you just talking about asynchronous processing on the client? Or are you talking about the order of operation on the server, or all of that? Yeah. Okay. Let's say, hey, Carl, hey. you have a you have a you have a big shop, right? You have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trainers, and you're covering the entire world and all of this, and you're out for world domination. That's true, right? Of course. See. So are we? Oh, on a on a small scale. Okay. So you have you know all your training work to do, and then you have people who are doing sales, and they talk to people, and then they bring in jobs, and then they go and tell you about it, and then you as the the big man start to schedule people, and you send them out, and all this happens how. Yeah, sev- certainly uh, in uh, not in any particular rigid regimented order, and that's for sure. So as, it all as, happens through which, on, which medium? On demand, okay. Through which medium? Through uh, sound pressure waves. Sound pressure waves? Email, and sound Outlook. pressure, Outlook, yeah. Good, okay. So let's say all this um, you know, accounting stuff went totally overboard, and you had thousands of customers. Let's say you are not Franklin's Net. You are, you know, a big corporation. A, I mean, a really big corporation. At, yeah. At some point, you find out. No, sorry. Your MBAs find out. All yes. these people who are trained in the East right. find out. I mean, your East, not, my, not our East. Um, find out that uh, it would make sense to outsource. Here's a horrible word to outsource a business process to Pakistan. So all of your builds are processed in Pakistan, in Karachi, or in Bangalore, if you will. You have very interesting example data here. Yeah, I know. Uh, let's analyze this psychologically for a minute, shall we? Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, no. So, so you have your raw data, stuff that you charge, and there's a, 
you know, everything that you shipped, and then you want to formal, or you want to formalize this, you want to put it on the bill, you want to have it all verified, etc. Mm-hmm. And there's people who offer business process outsourcing. Right. So you give them that raw data, they'll work on it, and then they'll probably send stuff from there, or they print it remotely. They they work on this. So right? basically, you're, what we're doing here is reacting to changes. Changes in the market and changes in in the way that things can be done most efficiently, right? Is this your point? We're we're dealing we're, well. We're dealing with changes. We're dealing with the ability to you know outsource stuff, okay? Uh, which may be good, which may be bad, um, depending on how you look at it. What we're also dealing with is business process. See, so now I'm have everybody confused. So let's get things together. Okay. A customer calls you or a customer sends you mail and says, hello, Carl, I'm interested in this and this. Let's say you don't sell training, which needs a lot of consulting right ahead, uh, 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 right up front, but they simply want to order something, some product you you offer. Yeah, the .NET Rocks movie, for example. Wonderful. That's a wonderful example. So they call in or they fill out a form on the website or they, by any communication channel, they come to you and say, I want to have this. You take, you take that order, which is a message, and then you pass that on to your credit card processing whatever service because right. that's the first thing you want to, you want to validate. Right. Um, the second thing is that you need to verify that that customer is actually, you know, has a plausible address or has a plausible, that's plausible data. So you need to have that verified. Right. Once, once, so credit card processing, of course, t- takes a little time. I mean, if you are a computer, then um, all that takes a little time. Right. Um, and then they come back eventually with a message, and then you give this to your shipping, to your shipping department, mm-hmm. and at the same time you write a proper bill or you execute that payment. There's a couple of steps there. Right. What as it happens, this is all a workflow. If you look at any company. How, and how it operates, especially those who are not fully automated yet, where this is still transparent. Mm-hmm. What you really have in any business process is a folder with a bunch of paper, and that folder goes through several departments in that company. And that's how things sure. are done. If, you, if, that co- if the company communicates with the outside world, they send faxes. The fax is Transport. the number one business-to-business integration machine that we have. It's, yeah, I would I mean, agree with let, that. Yeah. Let, let alone, I mean, there's like BizTalk and whatever and WebSphere MQ and all these wonderful business process integration products. And in reality, the business-to-business integration tool of choice for 99%, 99% of the world is the fax. I bet all of us can think about you know, how much the fax is utilized in our own companies. And you know, even 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 with web orders, even with companies that take orders for things over the web, somewhere there's a fax machine involved. I swear to I swear to God, this is more common than people think. Okay, so that is all one way messaging. There's no request response involved. You either have a folder that runs through the company, and one person gets a job does the job, writes, it, uh, writes the results on another piece of paper, and just hands it over, mm-hmm. and will not see that job again. The postboy comes into the room, 
delivers a stack of paper, you open that folder, you do your job, you put your results back into that folder, and just the postboy post boy comes and picks it back up, and you will never see that job again. That's so one-way messaging. Sa- yeah, you're talking about one-way messaging as, as being the way things really work. Correct. Yeah. The sec- so the, and the second thing is, this, so we have one-way messaging for once. Then the second uh, second thing is you get a fax, and that fax is in order, and you go and answer as soon as you know whether you can execute that order with a purchase order confirmation. And again, you send a fax back, but you don't. The other person who is who is sending that purchase order will not be stupid enough. That's you know to wait in front of his own fax. Right. You know, just to stand there and 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 stare at it until you're ready to. <laughs> I get it. Right. That well, would be very stupid. The difference between one-way messaging in the real world and one-way messaging in computers is, of course, context. And so, when a when some folder, some XML document shows up at your doorstep, you know, the obvious question is, well, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? What is this? What does this mean? Where? What is it? You know, where does it fit? Where's the history for this? Where's and it's something you can figure out by looking at a fax because, you know, just one sentence in English, ah, click, I know where that goes in the business process. But uh you know, the for, for computers to, to figure that out. That was the first question I, you know, had for you is that is a big challenge. How do you do this deal is with that? Why man invented the form. Right. And well we'll get to that in a second. And the second one is it also requires that clients have repositories, it's sort of like can you know that clients can be servers as well, a sort of a peer-to-peer model. Well, Whereas we're going we're to get to that point. Yeah. Okay. Can you file your fax, your tax income return on a just an arbitrary sheet of paper? No. See, and that's because the the guy in the tax office needs to have some sort of a contract with you. But you can send a fax that, you know, if I wanted to order lunch from the restaurant down the street, I could send them a fax that says, hey, make me a grinder on an ordinary sheet of paper. Yeah, that's and true. That because, there, because, because there's, there's, and there's still a contract in place between you and, you and them. Sure. Because it's an un, if you go, if you go and write a um, very literary you know, explanation of all the great things you want to have in Shakespearean English and... Right. The poor guy at the at the at the deli around the corner only speaks Spanish. Right. Well, in that case, that just won't work because right. you have a common contract. And the common contract is called English. Yeah. So there's always a contract in place for communication. There's always sometimes, a protocol. Sometimes yeah. it's more. Sometimes it's more formal. Sometimes it's less formal. Right. But if we look at at how business how business is done with bigger corporations with larger volumes, even if you do use the facts. You usually use forms because that's the only way how people, if they need to read that stuff, if they need to key it into systems. Right. If it's anything, here we have anything you know, integration by clipboard or integration right. by uh, data typists. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only way how they can consume that data. If you just use an arbitrary sheet of paper, it just doesn't work. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Good. for anything more so than ordering con- a grinder. Okay. So if we have a completely... If, so if we have a completely people-based process, mm-hmm. which which is where, where, where I was getting to, right? Um, and if we have nonlinear communication, which just goes back and forth, 
um, just as I, my initial example with Rory, where he came back, came back with an out-of-sequence set of answers. Right. Then we have, first of all, people-to-people process using the fax machine. We have contracts in place. Correct? Sure. Good. So if you go to a company and say, so you walk up to Franklin's bed, and I say, Carl, I would like to have you know, three, pli- three slices of pizza uh, with the following on it. What are you going to say to me? Uh, wait a minute. So if you come up to Franklin's Net and order a pizza, I'm going to say, yeah. uh, no, you want the pizzeria down the street. I'm sorry. This is, uh, we don't sell pizza here. That's true. Um, I'm going to come to you and say, hey, Carl, teach me VB. Um, and I would like to have that done, you know, my developers are very busy, so I'd like to do this um, on the weekend, and I'm going to pay you 10 bucks an hour. Okay. You'll say, thank you, I'm not really interested in that business. Right. There's, there's, certain, there's certain rules and circumstances for doing business together. Um, there's general terms and conditions. That's a policy. Mm-hmm. So, what, so I talk to you, I give you some information, I give you requests, stuff that you can fulfill, and there are certain limits to the things that you can do. There are certain services that you offer and services that you don't offer. Right. And there is a you know, certain level of pain that you're willing to accept, and there's a certain level of pain that you're simply not accepting. Right. That's a framework that you operate in, right? Mm-hmm. That's a policy. So we're talking one-way communication, we're talking contracts, and we're talking policies. That's so. You, are you are you feeling how I've already feeling how you turn into a service, my friend? I feel it. I feel the power. Put your hands on the screen, my friends. That's so. That's so. Very cool. Okay. So we have contracts, and then uh, then of course I can I can I can come to you and I can say, Carl, teach me VB. No, sorry, teach my developers VB. I'm mm-hmm. going to send them to you. Uh, for three days, and when they come back, they're going to be the complete cracks in Visual Basic .NET. Okay. And I can trust that. So I can send them to you, and when they come back, so, so the people are the message. Right. That's cruel, okay? But they are. Um, sorry, no, they're actually the data in that message. So I sent I sent those people to you, and you educate them, You they come back. I can totally trust that you can do that. Because you're totally autonomous. I don't have to tell you Right. What to do? Right. I don't have to instruct you along the way because you know really well how to teach developers. I don't have to, have to give you any instructions about this. So, what about the other problem of, uh, you know, of of having a phone to answer? Actually, because sometimes you have outgoing calls, you have incoming calls, and the the service client, as it is now, is really an outgoing only kind of thing where. Because of HTTP, it's it's connectionless, and you make a a connection, and you send a request, and you wait for a response. You can, of course, do it asynchronously, but you're still just doing the same thing on another thread. So, what's how can I just sit there and uh, have a telephone that's going to ring when you know when business needs to be requested? Oh, because you have a you have a phone that can ring. See, yeah, okay, so in the web- service world. <laughs> Yeah, in the service world. See, when we look at services, 
when we look at web services, the, the word web totally gets in the way. Right. I agree. Because it has nothing to do with that. A service, so first off, for, let, let me just recap where we are. Sure. Services are based, based on contract. There are certain rules. There's a framework with policy, and they're, they're autonomous. And, and sort of the un- unspoken, unspoken thing that we have is there are explicit boundaries. The explicit boundaries are, you know, you communicate over the phone. Uh, we are not the same person. Um, so if you're not, if you're, if there are two people, the explicit boundaries are pretty clear, probably yeah. except for certain situations, right. but usually they are. And, um, so I didn't really go into that. Now that's the core of services. Services, and that's why I'm saying services and the web services, has very, very little to do with HTTP. So let's let's look at your. I'm I'm sure you have a computer in front of you, yeah. Yes. Wonderful. And I know you have Instant Messenger open. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful communication channel that pushes stuff right to you. Right. It also doesn't use port eighty. And it doesn't use port 80. So it's not um, quite Do you have Outlook open by any chance? I don't, no. Yeah, but you could. Sure. And all of a sudden, it all, of a, all of a sudden, you have something that you can pull stuff out of. Right, because there's another well-known port that is Correct. open on most firewalls. So there's, there's, there's notification places. There's notification channels, how you can learn about stuff. So if you are a person and I'm sending you a notification, I can say, I will pop a toast on your screen using, let's say, .NET Alerts. I get and that. that. Toast, I mean, I understand that. I mean, I wrote a book on sockets programming, two of them actually. So I, I understand that. But I'm talking about from a logistical point of view. The reason web services are so great is because the port 80 is open on people's firewalls. So and, if, and the port, ports 25 and 110 for email are also open, but if you notice, uh, there's a little problem we have called spam, and one of the biggest reasons we have spam is because those ports are open and because people can just willy-nilly. So, so we have li- like this built-in conflict of interest with TCP IP that if the ports, are, the ports have to be open in order for you to receive uh, a connection. And yes. if the port is open then you also have the the problem where you've got unsolicited requests mm-hmm. basically in connections you've got basically an army of people outside your do- outside my door who don't care the least bit about vbnet training they want to sell me screwdrivers you That's know? True. and they're going to use my forms they're going to try to get into my service based on my rules and my policies no matter what i set so I guess this is what I'm saying is, you know, the biggest reason that web services work so well and it is because of port 80. The, the, reason, the reason why the XML SOAP HTTP goo works so well is because of port 80. Right. Again, right. this has very little to do with, with services at the, at the core. Right. So, so I guess what, what I hear you saying, if I, can, if I can just try to figure it out, what I hear you saying then is, look, we have lots of different transports that are available now that we could attempt to use to, uh, you know, to receive, to, to find a repository. And we also have just 
raw TCP if you know if you want to open up a new port, for example. Yeah. So. So one of those is going to work for you. You're you're saying. That's what I'm saying. And if I send you a message, if I send you a job, whatever job that is, that want, that shall reach you to do something. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that that doesn't need to that doesn't say that I need to push it right into your face. That's true. That means you could be polling for it. In other words, correct. Yeah. Well, all you need is sort of an inbox, a landing place. You need to have a landing place, and you can walk up to that place and you can fetch jobs. And that's exactly what the real world does. Right. See, there's a stack of paper on your desk. And that's all the work you need to do. How that, that's how POP3 works, actually. You know, POP3 doesn't just... It's not like people send email to you and your client is actually a server, you know, that's listening and accepting. Your your email client actually goes and pulls your mail server on a regular interval, so... Correct. So, and, yeah. and, and, and multi-part mail, multi-part my mail has the wonderful ability to mark certain blocks with text XML. Right. Or application slash so plus XML, right? And so you can you can use that wonderfully as a transport. So services and how messages reach services, and we should agree that XML is a great way to express the content of those messages. Yeah. But really, the transport has very very little to do with it. Okay. So, so if we if we take take the real world as a model, and I think that's a very smart thing to do, because the real world works like this, let's say the fa- let's ex- exclude the fax machine here, but simply say we're sending letters, works like this for the last couple hundred years. See, the business processes that we're, that we're talking about, the foundations of those business processes that we're still looking at and still trying to find solutions for are older than the United States of America. So there's a little to be learned from all that. And I think the industry is right now coming to terms with simplification simplification around you know those yeah. those ideas we're getting back to the roots of where we came from so to speak and this is what services is all about that's cool so very cool if i can look at rory as a math service which i abused him in the very beginning <laughs> right right i don't i don't care how rory is implemented right you just know that you have uh, you you want to fill out a form and send it to him and then walk away. Yeah, Rory yeah. can Rory can figure it figure it out all in his head. He can use a calculator. Well, have, except for this square root thing, I I couldn't figure that out in my head because I'm not like Stephen Hawking or anything. But I was able to do a couple other things. See, so the I can do root, um, simple multiplication too. But yeah, wonderful. So for the square root thing, you could probably go and. Um, you know, I could cheat. hire somebody. You could outsource it. You could outsource it. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. I could offshore it, yeah. You, I could you have could, a team of people do doing square roots for me. So in, in that, that, in that, so in that case, and that's, a, that's actually a wonderful, wonderful example, I don't care what you do with it. I simply want yeah. to have a response. So if Rory says, you know, square roots are totally over my head, but I have a buddy who will help me for minimum wage, that is perfectly okay. Right. So he can employ anybody or any you know number of bodies he wants, yep. and that's the that's the that's the idea behind services. I don't care what happens behind the scenes. 
and I, it's not my job to give you instructions about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very cool, Clements. Very cool. Cut. Now, well, hold that thought right there, Clements. Hold that thought right there because uh, we have to uh, play some music and pay the bills. And uh, that is perfectly okay. All right, Go ahead. hang out, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Stick around. Hey, Carl Franklin here, giving a shout out to my friends at Data Dynamics. Uh, we've talked a lot about Active Reports on this show, and this is no exception. So, I'm talking about ActiveReports.net. This is a port of their popular Active Reports program. If you're currently thinking of doing reporting in .NET for Windows Forms or web applications, check out Active Reports for .NET. Uh, many of my friends in the business use and swear by ActiveReports.net. I use it as well. Let me just tell you, to say that the reporting is simple does it an injustice because it makes you think that it can only do simple things. It can do very powerful things, but you don't have to go through hoops just to set up a simple report. When you create a report, the report exists with your application, okay? It doesn't exist on a server somewhere. All right, we're not talking about enterprise reporting. We're talking about, I have some data, I want to print it out, or I want to show it to the user. PDF format is supported, HTML format is supported, all the great features you'd expect from a reporting engine, drop dead simple, and the best part, it's not going to break the bank. They have a great licensing scheme that's easy to deal with. So check it out at www.datadynamics.com. Now let's get back to our show.
Tie in Japanese hair with the 
God, that was so much fun, that song. Well, well. anyway, uh, now's the time in our show where we like to do a little segment we call The Google Weirdos. Weirdos, 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 weirdos. Rory. What's up? What you got, man? What are the shouts out? All right. Well, it, it was it was a slow weirdos week too, in addition to it being a slow news week. But I'll, I'll give you what I got. But first, I want to say, hearing that uh, uh, I searched the entire web, <laughs> it's it's really weird because it suddenly brought me back to the night in New London when it was like you know three o'clock in the morning or whenever it was that we were doing that. Just yeah. funny memory. Anyway, yeah. so the shouts outs this week. Um, the first one is Rory written on a shirt, which isn't really a shouts outs, but. I, I picked it because, as I found out in uh, in a little email communication stuff this week, um, you made a Google Weirdo shirt. Yeah, that's right. Which uh, pretty, up on pretty much tripped me out because yeah, <laughs> I didn't know about it. All of a sudden, there's this shirt with my ugly mug on it, and it says Google Weirdo on the back. So there's a Google Weirdo shirt. What it was now. was I was I chatting was with Chris cool. Sells, and Chris said, so what does it take for me to get some swag? He says, <laughs> do I have to be a host twice? It's like, come on, give me a break. So I said, well, what do you want? He says what he really wanted was a shirt with Rory's picture on it and some sort of reference to Google Weirdo. So I said, okay, I'll make you one. And it's a picture of wow. you with, so in like from. an Uncle Sam, I want you pose or something. And that the, will, it's, my, it's my serious business look. It's my, right. I'll write your enterprise application, no problem look. <laughs> yeah, except you, you looked like you, like you had just, uh, you know, gone 20 rounds with an elephant or something <laughs> Your eyes are bloodshot and must have been a horrible night before but on the back it says i'm a google weirdo and yeah. that's up at www.cafepress.com slash dot net rocks yeah cool so chris originated the using keyword in c sharp and the google weirdos uh t-shirt so that's pretty cool okay so yep. that's the story behind that so the next shouts outs is Rory Blythe, I play PC games at work. Um, that's kind of cool, sort of like the confessional booth kind of thing going on there. Um, the next one is, hey, Rory, Rory Oshirov got an MVP, and now you're both invited. So that's pretty good. <laughs> Actually, I, I have some doubts about my getting invited back to the next one. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is... Uh, Rory Blythe, I'm on your website. Hi, Carl. So, you see, I think that one last week where the person gave a shout-out to you, Carl, started a yeah, trend of right. Carl shouts-outs. And uh, this proves it, because cool. here's the next one. Dear Carl Franklin, this is a doctor for Rory Blythe. Please give me a call. You seem to be very angry lately with all the profanity you use. I think I can help get myself a new yacht and some more gold to eat for breakfast. What? So, Wait a minute. Hey, you... I don't know. People just put stuff in Google. I don't know what can it means. Can you read that again? Because I was really trying to listen and understand, and I really couldn't. Is it, is it as incoherent oh, okay. as it sounded? Sure. Or Yes, it was not a problem with my diction or the way I read it or my intonation. No, it was I'm simply a matter a of my ear, the actually. word order. Okay. No, your ear is fine. It just made no sense. Okay. So the next one is shout out to Carl Franklin. I'm starting to get sick of it, wow. you know, because it's my shouts outs. This really? is my thing, man. It's your blog. And the next one is shout out to Carl Franklin since he has never gotten one. Yeah, because he's gotten like five in the past two <laughs> minutes, you know. <sighs> nobody nobody shouts that, outs Rory? to Rory anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I feel pretty good. I'm on the antidepressant, so I'm pretty happy about it. <laughs> um, when all else fails, go to Prozac. <laughs> Everybody hates me. I'm okay. Hey. How are you? So those are the shouts outs. So we're going to get to the Google Weirdos, which are short this week, but there's a really good one last. 
Okay. So the first one is gross feces booger. Um, that's sort of like a general right. kind of okay. all-purpose now, now you know, depravity search. <laughs> you know, I got to say something. When I was chatting with Chris Sells last night, he says, you know, .NET Rocks has really gotten very vulgar lately. Is it me or is it... Lately? Yeah. And I said, you haven't listened to any of the old shows, have you? Uh, <laughs> apparently he hadn't. He hadn't, you know, but we hadn't always been so, so bad. But uh, he says, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. He doesn't like it all that much. And then he was watching the movie and uh, a couple of things came up that he commented on again from his high moral ground. And then uh, another sign came up, which was just as vulgar, but this time he said, that one made me laugh. So I'm like, come on, make up your mind. Is it funny or is it vulgar? I mean, you know. Yeah. But that one no, was he, a little... No, he, he's got a point. I'm trying to keep it to an absolute minimum, you know, but I threw that, in, I threw that one in there anyway just for kicks. That's Mainly because really, I had so few weirdos. Really gross. Thank you. Well, yeah, I agree. That's, that's why it's in there. Yeah. So the next one is um, facial stabbing alarm. Which is like a, a a new interesting way to wake up in the morning. You're, you're unlikely to hit that snooze button when your eyeball's stuck on a knife somewhere, right? Not nah, you're up. You're blind in one eye, but you're up. Yeah. So the facial stabbing alarm—that's pretty cool. Uh, the next one. And I don't know how this wound up at my blog. I honestly don't see what the connection is, but it's just. Is someone's ego too big? I don't know how that got to me. So, well, gee, I, I don't that's know. really weird. It doesn't <laughs> uh, doesn't make any sense, <laughs> really. <laughs> and so the last one, and I like this one. This one's really cool. This is one of those really long, intricate ones. It's pretty damn good. It's Mr. Google. Does the U.S. space shuttle run Windows or Linux? I want to build my own, and I want to know what to use. It has to fair. It has to be fairly stable because my dog is going to be the pilot. Does Linux let you play a CD-ROM? Because I want to play some music for him in the cockpit. My mom's boyfriend Scott says that Microsoft can't go on a spacecraft because it has bugs. Is this true? That's all a Google. That's a Google search. That was one search, and it's oh probably the longest God. search I've ever seen. <laughs> That is insane, man. Just like you. <laughs> Thanks. Weirdos, 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 weirdos. Just let me know when your chihuahua starts talking like Peter Lorre, okay? <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Rory. I just like to butt in real quick and say I typed "Is someone's ego too big?" into Google right now, and you're the first result. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. That's incredible. <laughs> wow. That's uh Well, that's like a big cosmic joke, isn't it? All right. So let's get back to the interview. <laughs> so Clemens, are you out there? Um uh, we were just you were just about to wrap up your uh your uh, uh discussion on philosophy. I, I was I was about to wrap up the philosophy portion. Right. And uh now we're getting to the con- to the technical consequences of this. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, so I'll just, I'll just continue with my monologue here. Sure. So, so, sort of. Okay. Um, I we'll think try to I keep Arthur it, awake. I, 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 exactly. Because, uh, <laughs> otherwise it would start snoring. I'm, I already had to, you know, push myself up with another coffee here. Um, so we have services and we, I sort of explained and think we have an agreement what services are. Okay. There's a couple of te- technical consequences here. First of all, because let's stick with the Rory example, because I don't don't care how Rory is implemented. 
Um, and Rory can answer me back, and I will understand, hopefully, his correct answers, and I will totally trust him that he's going to give me the right ones. Um, I, and I can give him the answers in any format I like as, as long as he understands them, right? I can type in an IM, or I can send him a mail, or I can tell him on the phone. Um, there's multiple channels I can reach him, but he will just he will just do all the math for me, and I don't have to worry about it, and I don't have to I don't have to do the math myself. And he if he wants to outsource square roots, that's perfectly okay with me. Yeah. From that perspective, me as the consumer of that service, if Rory decides to reconfigure and become better at square roots and says he wants to internalize that job and make more money of me, you know, save the money that he loses through outsourcing, he's mm-hmm. just getting better at, at his own stuff, mm-hmm. well, then he can do that and I won't, I won't realize it. Therefore, implementing services is a tactical thing. It is something that you do with whatever tool is best right now for the job. I heard, I listened to one of the earlier shows, and someone said, oh, well, you should not use WYSI because, you know, Indigo is going to roll all over it. And I say, you know, can't agree with that. Because if you want, if you want to build, build a service right now, use it. Just go right ahead. Right. Use whatever shipping technology, technology you have. There is no need in almost no program to sit around and wait for the next generation technology. Because in our reality, it's going to take a while. And not just because Indigo is going to be shipping only, if we're lucky, towards the end of you know, next year. Um, and I, I didn't say I know any dates. I just That was just oh, pure, of course pure not. speculation. Um, <laughs> But um, really, whatever tool is, is good now is good now. There's a service. The service implementation is something you do because you know that you're going to evolve your program. You do services because you know that there's going to be change. What you want to what you want to want to do when you build a service oriented system mm-hmm. is you want to you want to slice it into pieces into autonomous pieces that you can evolve totally independently. If you write a service today and you deploy that service on Windows Server 2003 or, or whatever platform, and that box runs for the next four years and just happily does its job, serving, you know, accepting messages and serving back messages, you can pretty much forget about the box. And that's exactly how things should be. Yeah. So you should, so you should slice your systems in a way that they just work. I know they need to be managed. I know there's an operations side to it. Yes, and you can follow standards. You can uh, tie your stuff into, you know, the simplest stuff, perf mo- uh, the performance monitors and event logging, or you can ex- expose stuff to WMI, etc. But once you have done all this, once you make your your service ops uh, ops friendly, so you can see what the status is as the people uh, the, as a person be at the console, just leave it running. There's no so the whole the whole idea about services about autonomy about contract is to write pieces of software software where you can decide at any point in time to replace them or just to leave them running. Yeah. That comes that comes along with what I think is stupid about IT strategy because people say you know you have a a shop of a shop of 300,000 people and you are, I don't know, 
a huge all multinational corporation. There are not so many of those. Let's yeah. say you have a shop of 50,000 people, like small, medium-sized jobs, small to medium-sized shops, so like Microsoft size. And the CTO of that shop, let, let that be an insurance or bank, says, our future strategy is Microsoft.net. Right. Or our future strategy is WebSphere. And now they're scrambling and they say, okay, now we have, a, have an IT strategy. Now all of our applications must be written into, in that platform. All external programs we acquire must be supporting that platform. And I think that's just wrong. I think that doesn't make sense. Because if you have a tool that does its job and it doesn't matter what platform that runs on, yeah, let's use it. Right. The only thing it needs to do is it needs to talk to me in a way that I can talk uh, that I can support and that is services. That is soap. That is soap through any transport. Now, there's a different story to what tools I prefer and how I think my developers are more productive. And on that side, it depends on what your developers are trained in, what they're used to. It may be Java, maybe .NET. It all depends. But really, from the services aspect, it doesn't matter what platform things run on. If, if, so you can even make me believe that I'm talking to Rory, but it's not really Rory answering the questions or Carl. Do I care? No. Okay. So, so on the technology front, if you use Wizzy today, if you use Asimax today, if you use the SOAP toolkit, if you use you know any of the Java stacks, that is perfectly okay, because all these things are tactical decisions. Web service implementation is a tactical field. Web using web services, the strategy, the the contract, the policies you put in place, the overall architecture is strategic. Right. All the bits, all the concrete bits, are tactical elements. Mm. Are you a you must be a big but let me ask you this anyway are you a big fan of uh not uh, of of just uh creating web services that take a single argument just a big xml document Oh I and, think instead of lots of little arguments or classes or the, whatever argu- I think arguments is not the right is not the right term to use Yeah inputs. and that's where it starts Or messages what? messages inputs um I think I think we should think uh, there's there's ports, there's operation, and there's data. You send in data, and you instruct a service to perform a certain operation with that data. I don't think there's something. I think the term web method is right. as wrong as it can be. Okay, so just not, so just answer the question, Clement. So, yes, <laughs> yeah, you have an input. You know what method. I mean. So if you're writing an ASMX you and you're making you a public method, yeah. So if you're writing an ASMX and you're making a function in C-sharp or a sub in C-sharp. One Sharp, parameter. One parameter. Yeah. That's the structure. Yeah. You, it's not if you have one parameter and that's an int, that's wrong. Right. It's a, if, you, if you only want to send an int, make a structure, contain the, stru- contain the int in the structure. You know why? If you ever decide to pass more than just the int, right. passing the structure will be compatible. Right. Yeah. If you just pass the in, you need to say, you know, come on next parameter, and all of a sudden you break clients. Yeah. With the structure, that's not the case. Right. Not on the programming model level, and not on the wire level. See, Prosware. Well, yeah, but if the if if the implementation is expecting something more than the int, though, and it doesn't get passed in, I mean, obviously this is going to be on like a case by case basis. But 
isn't something still going to break? Isn't the server still going to kick back and say, I'm sorry, but your message was not properly formatted? Um, we're expecting a little bit more than an int. Well, if you, if you, start, if you start designing messages like this, um, mm-hmm. you will expect that the, you're going to have a V1 client which talks to you, the v, V2 server. Because mm-hmm. So in V1, you say, I only need an int for this particular operation. In V2, you say, I need to have an int and a string as an optional, as an additional parameter. Now you still want to. So you, you put the version. You put the version in the message. Then you put the version in the in the message. The V1 client doesn't know about versioning at all. Probably you send. You so send then, if the message comes through and it's just that int, then the server just automatically assumes that it's a V1 client. No, there's just a default assumption for that missing string. That's all. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because XML, right. because XML, XML is great in that if you omit stuff, it sort of comes and XML serialization, it just comes out as null or default. So right. if you, as you evolve a system, if you expect more data, that and you want to support the exact same operation, that data has become is becoming optional. Or and okay. and that's what you su- just su- suggested. You yeah, that, that's really what I was wondering about. Message. Yeah. So, mm. so you can evolve. You can evolve things much easier if you use structures. So, in Proseware, that big SOA app that I've written for Microsoft, which they're going to publish hopefully um, soon, right? Um, it, it's written exactly like this. There's request-response methods which have one return value and one input parameter. There's one-way messages which have, um, you know, avoid nothing return type. Uh, right. there, there are subs in terms of VB, mm-hmm. and just one input input parameter, and all of these are structs. And all of these are structs where you can simply add stuff as you go, um, as you evolve your system. And the job of the server is to you know deal with those extra additional parameters. Right. And and it, how does that work in terms of data typing? You know, specifically in an Asimax thing where you've got a the structure is defined at the at the server side. Right, and so that data type comes through to the client, and if the client doesn't have, you know, the latest contract, isn't that isn't that going to break? No, because the, because it's it's um, you define a structure and you can only add to that structure. Now the XML serializer from .NET is, is very very liberal, anyways. Mm. Um, it just does it. It just does it the right way. It'll it'll find the appropriate field for a certain uh, element. Okay. It is not very true to um, to schema, like to sequences and schemas, etc. Okay. So it'll figure it'll figure stuff out. But usually, what you do is is in the schema, you have an extension point at the very end, uh, where you say, you know, we can do all of these things, and then there's any. So you have an extension right. point right there. And as you evolve stuff, you simply add more fields. Sure. And as long as you don't mix them up in the yeah, you know, as, start as, exactly. As long you. as long as you as, as long as you evolve and add stuff, you're okay. Yeah. Once you once you need to make more dramatic changes, like you need to really need to change the structure around, or you need to drop fields, well, then you need to make a decision of of whether that's still the same contract. And I would say it's not. If you make semantic changes to a method, then it's or to an operation, that is likely a new operation. It's not the same thing, because if you break if you break the behavior 
you're going to break clients that make assumptions about the behavior. In the, in the, in the, in the services world that we're getting into, so the software, the client software, is not beyond your control. Even, even if you're sitting within a large organization, you can't evolve the clients along with the, the server software, and that's exactly one of the problems that we have. Yeah. Writing, writing big apps, writing big connected systems is really hard right now because once you make a change you know, in the far end corner of that data center, um, you need to distribute all the proxies and all the binary stuff and et cetera and all this, and, and at some point this just gets beyond control. You can't do that. It's just too hard. Tell me some more about this sample application that you're you're writing yeah. for Microsoft. Where when is this going to ship and with what? Um, so the the application is basically done. Okay. Um, there is uh, there's still discussion around the the proper delivery channel and the the the, the education around it. Mm-hmm. I've done a talk about it at Tech at Europe. And it includes a, it includes a server and. Multiple it clients? Is, it, or? Okay, it's an application, and thank you for asking this. Um, it's it's a bookstore. Okay. It's yet another bookstore. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was just low-hanging fruit in terms of, of business case. Sure. It consists, the shipping version um, consists of, I believe, seven services, mm-hmm. seven independent pieces, and five databases. And these things are all interconnected, and do they execute a business pro- ordering business process? Five. Listen again. It's yeah. Five SQL Server databases. I hear you. And why is that so? That is interesting. Yes. So five physical machines or five logical data? You're talking about you physical can, machines. You can distribute this app any way you want. Right. There's basically it's it's a three and a half. At at this point, the way I gave it to Microsoft and. I can't give you dates. I can't give you the delivery channel sure. because that's still being figured out. I gave it to Microsoft as a three and a half meg MSI file. You unpack this. You check an option for build after install. It'll fire up Visual Studio and it's going to build for half an hour. What you what you get, you're going to get out of this is it's going to expand into like a 50 meg directory, and um, it's going to install five databases in the process. Okay. Um, and all those, so, and what it also gives you is, um, you know, seven MSI files. And those MSI files are the services in deployment mode, lockdown, hardened mode, that will install, you know, in Active Directory service accounts and all those things and grant permissions and also set up their own databases. You can distribute that app as in any way, you, shape, or form you want. And then you can wire it up using, you know, modifying config. Now, the reason why I have five databases is... Stuff is autonomous. Nobody, the customer database or the catalog database or the pending orders database is nobody's business but the respective services business. There is no way anybody may touch any columns, any rows, any anything except through the public interface of the responsible service. If we do all this loose coupling, tease, love, XML stuff, and in the <laughs> end, we're stupid enough to tight couple at the back, right. to tight couple on the database, if we're stupid, stupid enough to allow 
that someone runs someone from a service called Invoice runs a join over a table customer, then we can simply forget about the whole services idea mm. from the get-go. Mm. Service with with service to make that real, we need to forget about that big, huge uh, wallpaper, which is the one data model <clears throat> that yeah. no longer exists. If you have a database which has 500 tables, and you want to stick to that, just don't use services. It's pointless. It's a real different way to think about programming, isn't it? I mean, this is that's that's why that's that's why this is such a huge deal, and this is why this is why we really really have a huge job ahead of us getting this into our head um, as people who learn, and then for me as educators to get that into people's heads because it is a different way of looking at architecture in a, in a big way. Yeah. They, especially, so people get, sort of get puzzled around, uh, about the whole story about you know, data. Oh my God, I can't do any joins across multiple tables. What, what am I going to do? How do I do reports? And that's true. How do, you, how do you do data mining on all this? And the answer is consolidate into read-only replicas. Consolidate oh, the stuff sure. into a database that has all the essence, the summary of that data, right. and then run reports from there. At the okay. risk of sounding like the stupid one here, um, how is all of this better? How is all of this better? Yeah, See, I mean, right now we're writing. Right now we're writing software which lasts for three years, and then it's it's such a convoluted mess that we need to throw it away. And we can't. But how many people? Like how many developers and how many teams out there are really going to be able to pull it off? That one autonomous piece of a particular system is going to, you know, survive the other pieces as they're modified independently. Um, is the payoff and the reward really going to be there? I mean, maybe I haven't worked on this team yet, but a lot of the corporate development that I've encountered, the the level of expertise required in order to make sure that all the pieces continue to function autonomously and, and not just totally throw everything uh, into this hairy, carry mess just isn't there. Um, you, you, so... You, you, Okay. Here's I mean, I mean so, 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 so where, where is this going? I mean, who is this meant for, I guess is my question. Because it doesn't sound to me like it's meant for your average um, like corporate development team. Okay. A, it should be. B, it requires military discipline. C, there's too few architects out there. Mm-hmm. If you are, and, and here we are, and we're getting to the point where the industry needs to grow up in a big way. If you are building a car, you have people who are engineers who are developing that car or doing the engineering around the car who are the designers and the architect of that car. None of these guys build that car. We're, we are still far, far away them from the maturity of manufacturing we need to standardize stuff and we need to have more more discipline we're very we're in the state of like 1880 if that's good in this industry there's got to be a stricter role there's got to be more discipline around all these processes around the whole development stuff and so is that a skill problem i don't think so i think the technology is here I think we can do that. There's a, the skill problem 
is not with the developers. I think the skill problem is is with the architects because we're still sort of in. I mean, look at all the discussions and all the forums about yeah, what's I'm, the right I'm architecture. Trying to, I'm trying that's to envision the stuff, the stuff we still need to figure out. I'm trying to envision Clements and architecture as you're talking here of you know some of the things that I've done and how. I mean, I'm just lost in daydream here, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, it, seeing the whole big picture, I can see how much more of, of a pain to develop, of course, and, uh, and the level of coordination between these services just is, is a, is a position all itself. I mean, that's a, a person's job. It's going to have okay, to Okay. How, how difficult, Okay. How difficult is it to set up a production line at Daimler Chrysler for the new E-Class? Yeah, I hear you. This has nothing to do with building the actual thing. Right. And if they if they tell you they invest $5 billion in the new model, they haven't built a single one yet. Right. See, that's the difference. That's right. the difference. I think to serve to be so the problem there. The problem there, of course, is that you've got you know millions of managers and uh, you know, development lead, project lead managers, and things out there who just don't get that, and who are bottom line That's driven. Why I'm talking about it. Well, you know, but it all comes down to money, right? I mean, it's a they do what they know. They don't know any of this stuff. They don't have. I mean, it's a huge leap of faith to take to to spend the money and spend the time in architecture. Whereas, you know, in companies, and I know Joe is nodding his head over here in companies like that I've seen and that I've worked with and consultants and stuff, just convincing them to come to a training class for a week is just like pulling teeth. Convincing them to convincing them to spend any time on a spec at all is sometimes like pulling teeth. Now, let alone, uh, you know, it's like just do it. Make- a spec that can grow and be maintained over the years and be coordinated and implemented properly by a team of people who you know, kind of like me, don't even have college degrees, you know? So I, I mean, it sounds to me like this, yeah. the, it, it sounds to me like a problem that actually goes much further than just, you know, the developers today, right? It sounds right. like this is a sort of system that if you want it to work, you're going to have to get into the universities and you're going to have to drill it into the curriculum and you're going to have to make sure that people are kind of produced with with this mindset and this understanding of how to do it. I mean, it's going to have to go from computer science as this loosely knit collection of just sort of cool ideas about, you know, different kinds of math or how to, you know, implement a compiler to, well, we really are going to be engineers now. And not just engineers in a sort of self-congratulatory, we build things, so let's call ourselves engineers kind of way, but I mean engineers, where where the much. job is very, exactly. yeah, where the job is very, you know, linear to a certain extent where you say, this is how I do this. I'm not just going to jump in with my guns blazing and make up the process each time I start a new project. Right. And, and uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, it's so almost I like you that, have, you, yeah. Well, I was just going to say it, it sounds to me like this is going to be like a 10 year battle just to get <laughs> things started, you know? It's, but it's, it's totally inevitable. If we, if mm-hmm. we want to have a, if, if we don't want to be in the mess that everybody builds their own silo, their own island, but we want to get cl- closer to a vision of something that, that, Doug Purdy at uh, TechEd in San Diego called There's Only One Program and We're Still Building It. So if, if, the, if systems shall grow together and if you want to build reusable pieces in the way that 
to use that analogy, you don't have if if you have a new business process, you don't fire your entire staff and hire everybody new. And right. That's what we that's what we sort of do when we write programs today. There's people who will not do if you invent a new business process, their work will not change at all. We, you have people who will see minor adjustments to their job. You will we will have people who totally lose their job but can be rehired for for a different job. If you that's, change a business process, well, right? Because around, because they become they become engineers in the same sense that an electrical engineer is not expecting electricity to change from job to job. An right. electrical engineer is expecting to work with certain laws and properties that are constant. So and okay, here's I, here's another here's 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 the 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 analogy analogy that I'm using for that is used for an article I wrote this week. Business software is like a chocolate factory. Factory. There's machinery, mixers, and all this stuff, and then there's chocolate, and that chocolate that flows. We have infrastructure, services. We have data that flows through it. Um, and there's a certain process. So you, stuff gets mixed, and stuff gets heated, and stuff gets put into molds and cooled, and all those things. So if you, you know, make all the Easter bunnies at Christmas, and if you do, if you make all the the Santa Clauses at Easter, if you're a chocolate factory, you sort of work, you know, anti 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 cyclic to this to the to the seasons. How much of that process changes? The molds the mold. change, and the packaging changes, and that's it. The rest just stays in place. Weren't we having the same conversation? By the way, this is Joe jumping in. Uh, I've uh, wrested the microphone from Carl. Uh, we've got him on the floor <laughs> right now. Uh, uh, Arthur has his hand over his mouth. He's not happy about it at all. But weren't we having the same conversation 10 years ago, 12 years ago, about object-oriented programming? It was only going to be grasped by a few. Uh, it, it was way out there. It was academic. Uh, it, it, you had to be an architect to understand what was going on. And now the API of, of the next wave of Microsoft operating systems is going to be object-oriented. So, yeah, Rory, we may be talking about a very long battle. I've, been, I've had a, about 12 months where I work of talking services, 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 because the things that Clemens is talking about would be absolutely perfect where I am. We've got a bunch of different systems that are a tangled mess because they've tried to evolve together, and it just doesn't work. Uh, mm -hmm. But trying to get it in at, at at the management level is difficult. But I think it was difficult 10 years ago to convince people that object-oriented programming was the way to go. And we're not going to lose that, by the way. I mean, you know, we're still going to be object-oriented programming uh, to, to a, a really nice API behind these services. So, yeah, I think it is going to be a long battle, but I think it's worth fighting. Well, yeah, pe people, you know, fear change and all that kind of stuff and, and the usual thing. But I, I think that um, comparing object-oriented programming to, to services-oriented architecture I don't, or to services in general, I don't think it's really, I, I don't think there's a match there because it's entirely different to talk about the tools that you're going to use to build a process and the process itself. Because it sounds to me like services are really about process, you know. Um, I mean, the message we've been getting, at least that I've been hearing for the past hour or so, is the transport doesn't matter, the implementation doesn't matter, 
Um, this doesn't matter, that doesn't matter. All that matters is the message. So we're not actually talking so much about bits. We're not talking about ones and zeros, which is kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about object-oriented programming. We're talking about something um, much, much, no, I don't much, think we are. I think object-oriented was a level of abstraction well above bits. I think the people Correct. who were working with bits when they looked at object-oriented said, uh, whoa, whoa, I want my bits back. I, I didn't mean bits like literally in, as in bits. I meant bits in terms of where you're actually using the tools to manipulate the data and shift the data around and, uh, and actually affect some sort of an outcome, you know, basically the language. Um, I see, I see that as being pretty different. But, but there's, there's a, there's the important bit is when we went from structured programming to object oriented programming, it was a major paradigm shift in in many people's heads because if you look at, I have, I have, I I agree. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you go and look at, um, um, early builds. I mean, if you have access to them, and very few, very few people have. Very early builds of stuff like Olay, or very early oh. examples of stuff like Olay. Ouch. So, like the yeah, like the 1993 examples they have. They're written in C, so they they built all the V tables themselves and and all this stuff. So there's no C plus, not even a trace of C plus plus. These are all objects written in pure C. It was really ugly. And it looks horribly ugly, but it's object oriented. These are all objects, no, without any doubt. You can you can do you can roll your own inheritance and see if you want to. You can roll your own inheritance in an assembly. The tool is just horribly inadequate for it. Right. And um, and object orientation, people people like the idea. There was a market, so there were languages, there were tools, and now that's mainstream. With yeah. services. We have horribly inadequate tool, tooling right now because everything is just geared for, you know, object-oriented programming. But the idea the, is good. So the, the tooling is not good, but that's gonna that's gonna be better. So Prosware, that app, is a little painful to write, and it turned out to be a little difficult. And frankly, the Microsoft people I'm working with were a little scared about you know the whole mass of source code I threw at them. And the thing is. You need to make those things that way because that's the way to implement services right now on this platform or any other platform. So the tooling is 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 going to get better. We always we always try to you know solve tomorrow's problems with yesterday's tools, and that's going to stay that way. But we're currently going through. I think it's a paradigm shift, and the paradigm shift is really taking the stuff to the next higher level of of abstraction. Object orientation was just as esoteric as you know services now. And uh, you know what, Kimberly Tripp sent us a message through the website, uh, but she says, "I have to admit, building a 500 table database, managing it, defragging it, keeping it available, and of course paying for the hardware to store it as a single entity is very difficult. I like the idea of, and forgive me, this is really not my area. Services, as you can slowly build autonomous components." on smaller, cheaper, and therefore more scalable hardware and components, and move this to this architecture over time. It also allows you to change pieces instead of having to rev a database and causing numerous problems. I'm st- I guess I'm still learning, but I do like the idea. And hi, everyone. And that comes from... <laughs> Kimberly Tripp. And that comes from someone who has to... who speaks very authoritatively about databases yes and sql server she's the sql guru so she's so so if kim says you know 500 tables are really hard to manage um i will believe that 
And if she says, I love the idea that if there are only 20 tables, um, because that's much, much easier to handle on for a single instance, and then just look at, at a couple of, a couple of databases uh, instead, and that's, you know, easier to manage and easier to, to, to do, well, then there's got to be a good point to it. Yeah. Clemens, we're uh, reaching the end of our, uh, of our time here, although this discussion seems like it's just beginning. I mean, you blew my mind here. So uh, do you have any, any last-minute things that you want to uh, tell people about or, or mention? Or? Um, yes. One, I, have, I've, I've, out of, I have one thing. Okay. Um, when, you look at web, when you look at web services and you hear those tenets, explicit boundaries, policy, compatibility, contract, autonomy. Mm -hmm. The most important one for me, which really defines service, is the autonomy one. Right. All the other, the other three are about the edge. And the edge is very important because you need to get stuff in and out. But stuff is autonomous. A service has a life. It's, you can look at it as a, as a living being. It can wake up every 20 minutes and do, sh and do stuff. It is not you know, you've almost said the word shit three times, but you've caught yourself, and it's really okay. <laughs> yeah. So it can, do, it can do stuff. It can wake up at, at, a, at a given time. It can, uh, you know, run its own threads. It's a living little entity that may yield messages to everybody at its own pleasure, and it may not accept a single, me a single message to drive it. So if you, look at web, if you look at web services, it all seems like, these are just components that get calls, and that's not right. Yeah. So think about autonomy. Autonomy is, for me, the most important of those tenets. Think about making things that have their own lives. And that's the, the, I think that's the, that's the most important you know, aspect of services that hasn't really caught on, caught on yet. Cool. Well, uh, stick around. Um, uh, Clemens, because uh, we're going to do this uh, segment, and we'll come back to you. We're going to do this segment every every week. We like to do this thing with uh, Richard Campbell, the toy boy, who's got some toys out there. And uh, Richard, how you doing, my friend? Hey, guy, how you doing? You got some good toys for us this week. Well, I've been looking around because my friend Clemens is on, and I never known a guy who travels more than Clemens does. So I've been thinking travel toys a lot lately. The travel smart and, clam, uh, and I found a <laughs> yeah. Clemens probably missed that one, but I'll tell him about it Thank later. God, but you know, I've come to realize that you guys need a serious toy and you need a silly toy. So I'm going to leave the serious toy, and then don't worry, I have a very fine silly toy today okay. too. So our serious toy today is the Wi-Fi Seeker, www.wifi.seeker.com. Now, this is a little keychain fob that detects Wi-Fi networks. So wow. when you're hanging around in the airport oh, cool. or you're wandering around the coffee shop and you need to find a wireless connection, this thing will help direct you to where the access point is so you can get the strongest oh, signal possible. Oh, that's awesome. Is this a great little gizmo? How much is it? It's about 30 bucks, but don't buy one. No? 
Why? No, because I'll <laughs> guarantee you, in the next year, you're gonna be you're gonna get one in one of your swag bags with an MSDN logo on it. Ah, but for now, it's a pretty freaking Thanks. awesome cool uh, toy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, if you want to be the coolest guy on the block, you know you can go get one right away. Just let me know. So well, I don't I can know if you'd be the, the coolest guy on the block, but you probably kind of be like one of the uncoolest guys, actually, if you have something like that. But we'll, uh, I think I know what you mean. You know what? That'll be a great contest uh, thing to give away. Let's uh, we'll give five of them away. So, uh, but anyway, we'll get to yeah. that in a minute. So that's very cool. Very simple toy All right. too. Very simple toy, but I think something that everybody who does any serious traveling and is starting to get into this idea that we have wireless everywhere, wireless in our coffee shops, wireless in our airports, <laughs> this is the thing we need. We need to know how good is our signal without That's having awesome. to haul our laptops out so we can decide it's worthwhile. It should be built right in the tablet PC, right? Should be. One of these days, you know, we're all going to have one of these things. So what's the silly so, toy? You ready for the silly toy? Yeah. Now, the only problem with this silly toy is that the link is appallingly bad. But let me walk you through okay. how to get to this link the easy way. Okay. okay? Are you ready? Sure. Because I just, you gotta, this is one of those things that really desperately needs to be seen more than it needs to be described. Right. So, this is from those <laughs> wonderful people at somethingawful.com. Something awful. So, type in forums.somethingawful.com. <laughs> now, if you've never been to somethingawful.com, it's an interesting little place. We won't even talk about the picture on the front cover. Yeah, that's a little weird. Go down to the main category bar. under the general section. General bullshit? So click on the general section. That's right. Okay. Go to there. And then you'll have a list of threads. Right. Now, I'm going to pull the thread I want you to look at to the top, well, near the top, by clicking on the rating box. Okay. So if you click on the rating box, it's going to sort it by rating. And about the fifth one down, when you're sorted by rating, has a category code of flame. So click on that one. We'll click on rating at, first, in other words. You click then, on rating oh, first, yes. so it'll sort it by rating. Fifth one down Home, is called flame. Homegrown. Grown, PVC flamethrower. PVC flamethrower. Now, first of all, so, Franklin's.net does story. not endorse anybody making yeah. or using a flamethrower in any way, shape, or form. This is a 16-year-old boy who, with some help from his parents, built himself a portable <laughs> flamethrower out of PVC, well, out of parts he got from <clears throat> Home Depot Home Depot right. for less than $100. It's wow. He's got <laughs> copper piping for the actual flamethrower part. He used a ball valve at first to shut it off and on, which is kind of interesting because if you leave it open, it won't close. <laughs> and a PVC, set of PVC pipe to store the uh, gas under this pressure. Too cool. And then he just sort of wandered out in his cul-de-sac and shot a few 30-foot flames. And there's some great photos and movies, actually, of him torching um, the hornet's nest this. and stuff. Yeah, well, actually, he went after some Ann Getty's toys first, and he says, <laughs> by the way, Ann Getty's toys are not flameproof. <laughs> oh, man. And those are like teddy bears and things, right? That's or, right. Yeah. Uh, so shortly after he posted this Alcohol. thing, a group of people told him he was going to die painfully if he didn't stop doing what he was doing. Uh, the main thing is, oh once God. the canister lost pressure, the flame would go back up the pipe and explode the canister. So it, that actually he got himself happened? a vacuum seal breaker and, and a oh. few other uh, bits and pieces to make it safe. The only weird thing is that some uh, of these the photos best? are on time-lapse photography. 
so they look a little blurry. But oh my god, look at that photo! It's spectacular, isn't it? It's Thirty feet. One of the easy. best comments I saw in the whole forum was this thing saying, "I don't see why anybody's worried about this country being invaded." <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's incredible, Richard. So, um, how are? It's very American. Yeah. Thank you. Very American. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That could. We, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, my flamethrower. Yeah. Uh, Richard, we're going to. I got a. No, go ahead. I got a couple things I want to throw in there. One okay. is that I'm doing some more research on some new toys here. And uh, one of the things that is uh, very near and dear to any serious road warrior's heart, and I know it is near and dear to Clemens's heart, is good laptop bags. Oh, and yes. I've been doing some hardcore yes. research on laptop bags lately. Uh, my good friend Ken Getz, a little shout out to him. He and I have been talking about it a lot because he's in the market for a new bag. Problem is, we've all got bigger laptops now and bags aren't keeping up. So I've got some ideas, but if you've got some ideas as well, feel free to send us a message. Actually, we have an email address just That's for toys. Right. It's toyboy at franklinsnet.net. Franklins.net. Toyboy at franklins.net. That's it. And um, before we... Before we say goodbye, Richard, let's give away five of those little uh, keychain Wi-Fi detectors. And uh, But in order to do that, we have to give the listeners something to find so that they can email it to us. Something to find. What, what, what can the contest be? There was a part that this lovely little man had to buy to make his flamethrower safer. And... In addition to that basic part, there was a second component. Now, this component is talked about in the forums on... Right. Just checking the page number here. On page 12. Was the component a so fire department? <laughs> no. It was a call to the FBI. Yeah. Now, so it's on page there 12? There were two components necessary. One of them was a quick-release valve. The other one is something else. And I want to know what the something else is. It's bold text. It's a very important part to making your own flamethrower a little bit safer. Okay. And send your so answers you can, to uh, .net rocks at franklins.net, and we'll take the first five right answers, and we'll send you all, a, uh, we'll send you all one of these uh, wireless detectors. Make sure that you send us your snail mail address in the email or in another email. And uh, go ahead and do that now. And while you're doing that, we're just going to play some lovely music and uh, wait for your responses. It's a pretty insane flamethrower, man. <laughs> Jeff says, I know what it is. Do I get one? No. Back, back in the sound room.
And we have some winners here. Winners one through four. Scott Cowan, Wedgie Man, Terry Myers, and Dave Loeb. And uh, we're waiting for the last winner, but that's okay. Somebody will figure it out. And, uh, man, pretty good show. Clements, it was great to have you on the show. And uh, let's uh, we'll keep a look on, an eye out on your blog for more information about this. And and uh, we'll have you back soon to uh, to talk some more about it. Sound good? That sounds very good. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And uh, on behalf of myself and Rory Blythe, Jeff Maciolik out there in the sound room, Clemens Vasters, and uh, Joe Grenier and Arthur Jelly, who joined us uh, in the studio today, I'd like to thank you for listening to .NET Rocks today and uh, tell a friend about our little show and can't wait to show you the movie. Keep on rocking. Good night, everybody. <laughs> 